Evan always had a dream of road tripping across the United States on a Harley and decided to combine this dream with his passion for Bitcoin. Over the past few years, local meetups have popped off across the United States where people get together to talk and learn about Bitcoin. And Evan used this as an opportunity to buy a bike, find some sponsors, and ride over 11,000 miles to meet a bunch of strangers. This trip started out with a ton of unknowns, but quickly took shape as his reputation grew and people caught on. I had the opportunity to meet Evan, and after getting to know him a bit, he actually came and crashed my couch during his time in Michigan. We had a ton of fun for a few days, and he even helped me install some backsplash in my kitchen. This trip was the first of many rides he's conducted through the United States and Taiwan where he lives now. Bitcoin or not, this story is very unique and it was really fun hearing Evan reminisce on this adventure that I got to be a part of. Stay tuned and I hope you enjoy this episode of the High Quality Fun Podcast. So while I was in Thailand during the whole COVID crisis and all that, I was seeing online, basically watching America burn itself alive. And the only hope and pragmatism that I saw was from these Bitcoin meetup accounts. So I thought, you know what, I want to go to some of these meetups in the US because it seems like there's a new one every week and they're doing really cool stuff. So I hatched this plan at the end of 2021 to buy a motorcycle. I had started riding when I moved out to Thailand. So I thought this is the way to do it. This is a two wheeled freedom machine. I love riding. I'm going to buy a motorcycle in America and I'm going to ride to as many Bitcoin meetups as I can for a couple of months and just see how it goes. So I went very back and forth on this. And this was part of the type two fun that I knew I wanted to do this trip, but I wasn't sure in what format but I wanted to challenge myself because I thought, you know, if I just buy a bike and ride around I'm, when I'm tired, I'm not going to go to meetups. I'm going to, I'm a very introverted person actually. So I knew I would hide and burn out if I didn't have something pushing me or somebody pushing me. So I thought I'm going to raise money because if there are people who put money behind this, then I'm going to be expected to do things and to go to these meetups and to produce something. So I ended up raising money and originally I thought I'm going to raise a ton of money and make this a big charity thing. And I'm going to get a hundred thousand dollars and buy the biggest, nicest bike I can and you know do it really nice. And I went on a camping trip in Thailand with a couple of friends. And when I came out that morning, it was like this moment of clarity, no phone for 24 hours. I just was thinking and hanging out. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do this unless is fun. And that was stressing me out so much deciding how to raise this amount of money and how I'm going to perform to the level that I thought was expected if I get this kind of money. And that was making it not fun. It was ruining the enjoyment of it. So I committed that morning to, I'm only going to do this if it's fun. I'm only going to work with companies that I like and respect. And if no one wants to help me with this, then I'm just going to do it alone. And eat ramen the whole time and I'm going to have a good time either way. But that really put a lot of the stress to bed. So I ended up getting some money I raised from Swan Bitcoin, which now has had their name dragged through the mud quite a bit, but I still respect them. Uh, I raised from Swan, Unchained Capital, Upstream Data, which is a Bitcoin mining company, Unchained is Bitcoin security and multi-sig and vaults. Swan, you can buy Bitcoin from and Bitcoin Magazine helped out a lot as well with 
with media and promotion and stuff. So I ended up getting some money and buying the bike and going to the US and doing the damn thing. So I planned it pretty much the entire time as I was going, I would plan section by section. I kind of planned it in three sections and just reached out to meetup organizers and told them what I was trying to do. And I ended up going to, I think 30 Bitcoin meetups and I rode over 11,000 miles on that Harley that I bought, which doubled the amount of riding that I had done in my life up to that point on a bike. So it was a long trip and quite a grind at some points. Like I said, I'm very introverted. So having to talk to people every day and be the, the special guest at these local Bitcoin meetups and everyone wants to say hi, that grinded me a lot, but well worth it. Now I look back on it with stories and as we'll get into it, I have a lot of stories from it and it has sparked so many new things in my life. So, so prior to this trip, you actually ride like an enduro in Thailand primarily, right? Yeah, I ride an enduro, but I ride like a rally bike, but I put street tires on it and I only really ride on the street. <clears throat> Contrary to popular belief, there are amazing roads in Thailand. Most of the roads are nicer than most of what you drive in the US. They're more freshly paved, newly paved, really nice mountain roads. There's tons of road riding. 20 years ago, it wasn't like that. Most of the stuff that you would ride today that are beautiful new roads were unpaved dirt, mud roads. And so you really needed an off-road bike to explore. But now there's so much paved track. I just have a blast on the road. And I ride a little bit off-road, but the off-road riding in Thailand is zero to 100. It's very intense. You'll find some trails where it's nice, and then all of a sudden, it's just like rocky mud for a kilometer that takes you like a half hour to get through because it's so beat up when what uh when did you start getting into motorcycling uh I, I remember when we were talking about this you always had this dream of touring the united states and i'm just curious like when you got into it and when that became a reality yeah i, I always loved the idea of road tripping i think as an american we're just like indoctrinated into the idea that road tripping is super fun. And I had done a, a solo road trip once before in my truck from Chicago to LA and back over like three weeks when I was 19 or 20. And I loved that. So I always wanted to do more and more road tripping. I still want to do more road tripping in the US. But motorcycles, it's funny because growing up, I always thought of motorcycles as like only organ donors ride a motorcycle because you just it's a death sentence and i thought it was so stupid and i loved cars i loved speed i loved cars but for some reason i just thought motorcycles were so dumb but i always rode bicycles and i think looking back now it's fairly obvious that i would have gotten into motorcycles because when i had a road bike in college and in new york i would get the city bikes the really heavy ones but I love weaving in and out of traffic and riding way too fast on the street. And that was such a blast. And then it was when I moved to Thailand that that's just the way you get around. You, you have to have a, a bike or you're really limiting your experience massively, at least in Northern Thailand, you've got to have a bike. So I went and got a, a Honda wave, which is semi-automatic has no clutch, but you can kind of shift up and down. And I rode that around for maybe the first, three weeks or a month 
And I said, okay, I think I'm ready for a manual bike. I get the traffic flow and everything. So I got a small little 200cc cafe racer and started riding that around and learned how to ride manual on it. The first bike that I rode manual on actually was a 250 sport bike. Very stupid. Rode all the way to Pi, which is like a three-hour ride through the mountains on some insane mountain curve. There's over a thousand curves in that three-hour ride. It's it's ridiculous. And I did that on a manual bike, had no idea how to ride. I was wearing a denim jacket from the grocery store and jeans, tennis shoes, and some cheap gloves that I also bought at the grocery store and a helmet from the grocery store that was the most expensive one they had. And I just went for it. I went with this Thai girl that I was going on a date with and we wanted to go to Pi for the weekend and she rode a 300cc BMW. So I said, screw it, I gotta, I gotta step up and try this. So I rented that bike and somehow made it all the way there and all the way back without killing myself. And that's what really hooked me on, okay, I like motorcycles, shifting, everything is so fun. So I got that 200cc cafe racer and rode that around town just basically taught myself how to shift and ride. I'd gotten my motorcycle license before I left the US, weirdly enough, and they, they don't really teach you how to ride. They teach you how to get off zero and go to 10 miles an hour. So I had some feel for the clutch and the shifting and knew how it worked before I got on a bike, but I'd never ridden on the street before I did that trip in Thailand. So that really bit me with the motorcycle bug. And then I bought that dirt bike and you know now I ride, not when I'm in California, but Living in Thailand, I ride every day, just going to the shop. It's how you get around. So I ride all the time now. Just I'm hooked. I love it. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll kind of see how hooked you are as we go into this. Um, so yeah, you you had this background of road trips, and it's funny that you say that that's kind of an American thing because I swear my wife and I now our kids we road trip everywhere. I mean, even this past weekend, we had a funeral in Georgia and it was just came out of nowhere. Let's hop in the car and drive 12 hours. Why not? And it's just, it's nothing to us. Uh, it's a little bit harder with kids, but we make it work and we want them to be comfortable with it. We've, we've driven to California. We've driven to Colorado. We've, we've just so much cheaper than flying and I don't know, yeah. it doesn't take too much longer. Yeah, it kind of does. You um, see that it's cheaper than flying. Because I feel like that wasn't the case five years ago. I wonder. I don't have any reference. I, yeah. I, I don't. I always flew as a kid because my dad's a pilot. So it's kind of weird that I like road tripping so much because I, I grew up flying. I love airports. Like my second favorite place to be after the saddle of a motorcycle is in an airport. I love that feeling of going somewhere. Oh, man, you're nuts. I hate airports. And until <laughs> I get to the gate, I'm a complete stress ball. I, like I show up way too early. Get way too stressed out, get to the gate, and then wait forever because I over panicked. Um, <laughs> I'm getting better, but the flight I don't mind, and the rest of it's very exciting. But until I get to that gate, it just whatever. Um, yeah, so you got these sponsorships, and you fly to the US, you buy the bike that you're looking at, and you can tell us a little about the bike. I know we're you did some special stuff to that to kind of match the Bitcoin scene. Um, but where was your, how'd you do that? And what was your first starting point? Yeah. So this is when it, it got really real. When I was raising money, it was just putting together the plan and dreaming about it. And then when I landed, so before I even landed, 
uh, I got sick on the way home and thankfully got in the country before uh, I hit a positive COVID test, but I had COVID right when I landed and I was really sick for the first week. That was brutal and very scary because I thought I got to get home and I got to get things in line. You know, I got to get these things done. So if I get quarantined in Germany for two weeks on my way home, I'm screwed. Like that's going to throw everything behind. So I got back, I got better. And then I went to Florida. I decided, well, actually I went to a dealership first in Northern California. And I thought about buying the bike there and riding it to Florida for the start of the trip. Cause I had committed to starting at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, Bitcoin 2022 <laughs> in whatever it was, April, I committed to starting at that event. So I thought, well, I could buy one near here because I'm staying with my parents. So I can find one here and then ride it down there. And I'm so glad I didn't do that because I was looking at it as if it was a car trip. And yeah, I can, if it's just a sprint, I could do 10 hour days, five days in a row. <laughs> no way I could have done that. It would have taken me two or three weeks and I would have been exhausted for a week by the time I got there. So I'm very glad I didn't do that. I went and tried one bike in Northern California and it spit up oil all over me, all over my leg and all over the back tire. And thankfully I got it to a parking lot and I called them like, your bike is burping oil all over me. And they said, oh, well, you know, that happens sometimes when they sit for a while. I'm like, I'm not gonna buy a bike from you. This is how you treat them. You let them sit long enough that they burp oil. It's just ridiculous. So that's when I said, all right, I, that was like the only dealership within the area. So I decided to go visit family that live in Florida in the Tampa area because there's like 10 Harley dealerships down there. And I was dead set on getting a Harley. I wanted to get a Harley. Just to me, it's like the Americana experience and it's the, the freedom machine kind of vibe that I was going for. So I ended up finding it's a good, like a good segment for, so we're not, we're both Bitcoiners, but to the guests on this podcast hopefully don't or probably don't have a base of that but you know long story short bitcoiners are all freedom driven and so mm -hmm. the reason that you know evan this this nobody online could reach out to these companies and give these sponsorships is because he had such this freedom oriented idea and that's how we pitched it right mm -hmm. i'm gonna buy the the american bike the harley i'm gonna tour america i'm gonna go hit all up all these bitcoin scenes and you know, more or less, everybody just fell in love with it right away. Um, and I know you're going to get into this, but you started at this giant conference that happens every year. Um, a lot of the people deep into the scene, they go to different conferences around the world around the United States. And that's how they, they keep up to date with everything going on. And they see people because most of the time they're interacting online behind these, these like fake names on Twitter. Uh, and so this is like, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest Bitcoin conference that happens every year. And at this time it was held in Miami, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you eventually buy a bike in Miami and you kick it off at the conference. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the bike. That was a very nerve wracking moment buying in cash, a motorcycle, the most I've ever spent on anything in my life by a large margin got the bike, got over to Miami from Tampa, <clears throat> stayed with a friend there. And then, then it was the conference. And, and that for me was, that was my moment to, to try to make this thing known, to let people know, cause there's so many people there 
I could shake so many hands and meet so many people, let them know this is what I'm doing. This is where I want to go and what I want to do and try to get meetup organizers and just get people. Like you said, I'm a nobody on the internet. Like really I had no following or like name recognition before I did this trip. I still have very little, but that conference was my chance to shake people's hands and show them I'm not a psycho. I'm not a random person on Twitter. I'm a real person. And this is what I'm doing. So that was a very high pressure couple of days going to that conference. And I uh, wanted to get people. So you mentioned the bike, the customization that I did to the bike. So I bought a Harley Ultra Limited, a big touring bike. And one of the like breakdowns I had while I was planning this was I bought that bike, but it was all black. And I thought, how am I going to do this? Because I wanted the bike to look like it had something to do with Bitcoin. I wanted it to be visually striking, not just a black motorcycle. And so originally I had it in my head, like I'm going to get the whole thing wrapped or painted, repainted, but painting a motorcycle is insane because you got to take all the parts off and everything. So that was out of the window, but I thought, okay, can I get parts of it wrapped? And I went to the wrap shop and the quote was just insane, like several thousand dollars to wrap just parts of this bike. And they were like, we're not sure if we can do it because of all the curves and everything and how long it would take and all that. So my cousin was the one who suggested, well, if you're so worried about, I was worried about wrapping it or changing it and then having difficulty selling it unless I sold it to someone who wanted the Bitcoin bike, you know, which I ended up doing anyway. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> but she said, well, those bags on the side, you can pop those off, right? And it just clicked like, duh. I'll pop off the bags and paint the bags and then I can sell the bags separately or have those like displayed separately as an art piece and people can sign them and, and decorate them and everything. And those will be the Bitcoin element of the bike and the rest of the bike could just be black and, and chrome. So I made that change to it. Still very expensive. I found that orange is the most expensive color that you can pick. Apparently, it's just so difficult to get an orange. You need all these inputs. So it was, I think, $900 to paint two saddlebags, just the outside of two saddlebags. But I got it done and got them mounted when I came back and went down to the conference. So anyway, at the conference, I had people signing the bags. But the first person I asked was like, can you come to the parking lot and, and sign my bags? So we take the 20-minute walk up out of this massive convention center to the parking lot. And then he looked at it and he's like, you can take those off, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, why don't you just take it off and take it down to the conference center so that you don't have to bring people up here on this 20-minute hajj to your bike? So, oh, yeah, that's a genius idea. So I started popping the bags off, and then I became this guy that's carrying around a big saddlebag in the conference center every day. So I put the logos of the brands that, that were sponsoring because that was part of the deal is they get their logos in the bags and the logos on there. So people would see me because I had a picture of me next to the bike as my profile picture on Twitter and then say, oh, you're the guy who's doing the tour. So then people started coming up to me and meetup organizers introducing themselves and it started to slowly but surely roll and people made dates to for my visits and whatnot. And then that kind of kicked it all off. Then I started planning each day and all the events that I was going to go to for the first like third of it, the first month of riding and everything that i was going to do it all started with that Did you have any idea where you were going immediately after this i knew two things there was a houston meetup and a, okay. an austin meetup 
And those were significant because I knew they wouldn't move them. Like a lot of these smaller meetups, I was hopeful and thankfully everyone that I talked to, they agreed to make a random meetup for me on a random night. Cause usually these meetups, they, they have the same time, same place every week or two weeks or a month or whatever. And almost every meetup moved their date for my visit and still got most people or even more people to show up for that meetup. So I was super thankful for that because I had no idea going into this, whether people would really bend their schedules, but I knew the Austin and Houston meetups, those are massive. They're 100, 150, 200 person productions. So the Austin one is a bit devs, which is like a Socratic seminar about technical topics within Bitcoin where developers talk about different changes to the core protocol that are being proposed and they argue about it and whatnot and, and teach some to people that don't know and then also come up with new ideas and thoughts and, and everything. And that one is once a month on a specific date and time. And people come into Austin for that because Austin is such a hub for Bitcoin development. And people will like fly in for pit devs or drive in from Houston and stuff. So they're not gonna change that date for me. And then Houston is very similar. It's, it's very energy focused because there's so much energy industry there. It's focused on Bitcoin mining. They have big speakers come in and talk to the group. And that's like 200 people in this classic car garage. So I knew they weren't gonna move it. So I had those two dates and thankfully they were like back to back. One was on a Wednesday, the other one was on a Friday or something like that. So it was easy to hit those two at the very beginning of the trip. So I knew those two dates, but then around that, like there was another Houston meetup I went to called Astro Bits that I had no idea existed. I think until I got to Houston and then somebody DM'd me like, hey, we have this meetup if you wanna come. So. I went to that one, I went to another one in Austin or another two in Austin, because there's so many and put together other events around that. But other than those two, and then I have to give a shout out to Charlotte, North Carolina. I met Liz who uh, runs that meetup at the conference and immediately on meeting her, she's like, I know who you are. I've seen your tweets. I want to set a date. And she set a date right then and there. So I knew I had to go to Charlotte on, I think that was May 9th. So I built everything else along that That's route. Awesome. Yeah, and I kind of knew where the meetups were and I had seen them on Twitter. So I just DM and said, hey, I think I'm gonna be in town on the 7th, can we do a meetup? And everyone was like, yep, we'll do it and set it up for me. That was really nice. If, if there's nothing else worth, I know there's a lot worth sharing about the conference, but for this audience, let's go right into the trip. So you, you finish that conference and you actually start making all these contacts. And I remember this, I was on twi Twitter. I had like heard of you, didn't know much about you, but you're starting to make presence on Twitter, meeting these people, photos with different people, um, whatever. And then like, I, I help run the meetup in Michigan and we eventually got in contact, which we'll get to at some point, but you start to make this plan out and you hop on your bike and you head out directly to Austin, which is, quite a lag right yeah so this was another one of those things where like planning goes out the window very quickly and <laughs> actually this is like maybe divine intervention i met someone uh i was gonna go to atlanta first from miami and go to a bit dense in atlanta and then go back down and, and over to texas and that bit devs got canceled while i was riding up there 
And thankfully, I stopped for lunch and checked my phone because I was about to get on and ride for like another three hours and would have put me way out of a much faster route to Texas. And I saw, oh, they canceled it. So I figured, all right, well, I'll go west through like the whatever it's called of the panhandle of Florida, the little section of yeah. Florida, and ride yeah. the, the coast, basically, and then go up to Texas. And someone had also messaged me right then and said, hey, I live in Pensacola. If you're coming through, I would love to meet for coffee. We don't have a meetup or anything, but I would love to meet you. And that ended up being J.M. Bush, who runs Thank God for Bitcoin. And so I sat down with him for like two hours one morning. And I'm not a religious person at all. And that was one of the best conversations I had on the trip, just for his his knowledge of scripture and religion and Bitcoin and being able to connect them was super interesting. But he also said something that stuck with me for the whole trip, which he I asked him, like, what are you going to do next? What is your plan? Because he had written this, co-authored this book and about Christianity and Bitcoin. And he had just come back from being a missionary for seven or eight years in South America. So I asked him, like, what is your plan now? And he said, you know, I am waiting for God to tell me what is going to come next. And as an atheist person that grew up without any religion, I was like, why do you not have a plan? You know, I always have a plan. And I kind of sat with that over the rest of the trip, really, but especially over the next couple of days as I was writing. And it hit me that that's really, that was what I needed to hear as I was doing this trip, because at that point, right after the conference, I felt like, okay, the, the planning is over. Like I have to have everything done now because I did the conference. I met everyone that I'm going to meet. I need to get this done. And those words, helped me relax and back down from that and think you don't have to have everything figured out right now you can figure it out as you go and things will happen and you have to be open to those opportunities because if i'm closed off i'm gonna if i'm closed off and i plan everything i'm gonna miss a lot of really cool stuff because i'm not open to it when it appears and that really helped me see and appreciate and capitalize on a lot of opportunities that came just as I was riding, just like that one, you know, I had one meetup cancel and then I figured, hell, I'll go meet this guy. I don't know who he is, but I'll go meet him for coffee. And that really helped me pick up on, on a lot of really cool stuff that I ended up seeing on the trip. Yeah. The, the last episode I recorded Saturday was kind of on that, that whole thing, just flying by the seat of your pants. And yeah, there's been many trips where we just went into it with, a destination and that's it you do what you can to pre prepare for the worst make sure you have um you know repair gear tools phone service a charge like first aid kit and then you just wing the rest and uh you know the worst thing that's gonna happen is you get stuck somewhere and you just figure out how to get out of it let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors here on the High Quality Fun Podcast, we love showcasing people's stories through our interviews and posts. This gives our guests the opportunity to share their favorite memories, but sometimes audio alone is not enough. Most people are sitting on a collection of hundreds of photos and videos capturing their favorite moments without the time or experience needed to compile these memories into a video. This is why I have chosen to partner with Spivo. Simply send them your unsorted photos and videos and in seven days or less, they will create a professional video edit that allows you to relive your favorite memories again and again. 
to ensure every customer is satisfied with their video edit, Spivo provides unlimited revisions for 30 days and offers a 100% money-back satisfaction guarantee. As someone who has limited time to edit his family adventures, let alone this podcast, I am excited to work with Spivo to help everyone eternalize their favorite moments. Visit spivo.com slash discount slash high quality fun to learn more and let us know what you think about the product. We'd love to share it. Now, back to the show. That started the the bang of the interstate haul. So I tried, after, it was actually after this. I didn't premeditate doing no interstate, but after riding from Miami to Austin in five days, or Dallas to Dallas in five days, I said, no more interstate. I'm not riding the interstate. It's horrible. And and we'll probably get into later. Like that's becoming a theme with all the tours that I want to do is try to minimize the interstate as much as possible. Sometimes you just have to use it and get somewhere. And I did use it a few other times on the trip. But the interstate is like a totally sterile version of America, of any place really. Because you're on this highway and all the stops are the exact same. It's just different brands on the gas stations and different fast food brands. But you don't really see any of the local place on the interstate. It's like flying. You just go and you don't experience what is on the side of the interstate or five miles off the interstate. Whereas if you ride state roads, you're forced to go through these small towns and stop at these local places that like a lot of these small restaurants I went to in the Midwest and stuff. They're like, why are you here? You know, we don't see anyone who comes through here that doesn't have business in this town or live here. And it's because I was taking these small state roads. But that five-day ride on the interstate was probably the most exhausting thing I've ever done. But the couple days after that in Dallas were some of the most relaxing because I had a weekend and I had one meetup and then I had a weekend staying at a friend's house and I just chilled smoked cigars, drank whiskey, and vegetated because I was so tired from that riding. Riding a big bike on the interstate. its I'd never done anything like that before. The closest I'd come, which is probably actually worse, I rode for 13, no, 11 hours. 11 hours of seat time on my CRF 250 with a dirt tire on the front from Bangkok to Chiang Mai in one day. That was brutal, that compared to this, but the speeds are a lot higher in the US. I was going maybe like 60 on that whole ride in Thailand, maybe 70, topping out around 70 because the dirt bike doesn't go that fast. But on the Harley, I was going 90 on the interstate for five or six hours a day. Uh, Actually in the middle of that, going through Louisiana, is a good anecdote. It was my first like sketchy time on the road. I think that's when a pallet almost hit me actually that it was kind of one of those moments where like uh what do they call that in in soccer where a penalty kick. It's just you and the goalie, the kicker and the goalie. It was one of those moments where I felt like the goalie, there's a truck in front of me and a pallet slid off, came right at me. And I had to decide, do I go left or right? And there's no other avoiding this. And I went left and the pallet hit and bounced to the right. Oh my gosh. And I was going like 90 on the interstate. So I had that happen. And then uh, as I was riding through Louisiana, actually there were two nights where there was 
a tornado warning. One was the a nighttime tornado warning, and I got to a motel and I was fine. But the second was in the middle of the day, and I remember looking at the weather radar, and I could see the storm coming towards me, like a huge line, and I'm going up this way. So I knew roughly how much time I thought I had before the storm was going to hit. So I pulled over. I thought I have about like an hour before the storm hits. And I found a campground, like an RV place. And I pulled in there and I thought, I'm going to set up my tent for like two hours, let this pass, and then keep riding and just let the storm blow over. And then someone came out and told me, you can't camp here. And like, I can pay. And they're like, no, it's only RVs. You can't camp. All right. So I pack all my stuff up. And then I looked on Google Maps, like, where is there somewhere that I can stay, like a hotel or something? Because I just need to get inside at this point. I can't gamble now. And I found this town that had like 10 or 15 really old 1800s houses. And I thought to myself, okay, I know there's a lot of tornadoes in this area, but if there's this many old houses here, there's something about this town that just doesn't get hit. So I'll go here and, and stay here. I ended up going to Natchitoches. I don't know how it's not pronounced that way, but it was the first permanent settlement of the Louisiana Purchase. So these houses are from 17, 1800s. They're really old Victorian style houses with a big like wraparound porch and everything. Ended up staying there, met some crazy Australian woman that's a motivational speaker who flies all around the world talking about how she survived like nearly dying from some spinal injury or something. And she had never been in a tornado before. So she's freaking out. And I had to calm her down. Like, it's fine. They always turn the signal on. It doesn't always strike, you know. And ended up staying there. Had an amazing breakfast. And really, it turned into a really good time. The bike was totally undamaged. I just covered it and put it kind of down where their garage was. So it didn't get hit by anything and made it through that tornado. And that was the most sketchy weather that I had on the whole trip. It was like day three. And then I had to get on a ride for like another 10 hours the next day, but finally made it to Houston. So yeah, those first five days, it was, I got everything thrown out in those first five days. Sure. You want to do this? You sure you want to do this? I, yeah, it really was. Yeah, like, I think that's, I want to do this. I think that's good to mention too, that on this trip and correct me if I'm wrong, but you pretty much camped or couch surfed the entire time, right? That was probably one of the few moments that you actually checked out a hotel because you were desperate. Yeah, it was probably a, a third of each, like a third hotels, third staying with someone and a third camping. And I thought it was going to be half and half and like, who would take me in? You never met me before. But I was shocked how many people were totally open and let me come stay with them. And I think it was partially it spoke to me building a reputation as I went, because it got easier as I went on this trip and met more and more people. They're like, okay, he stayed at all these other people's houses. He must not be crazy. You know, he's been to all these meetups. All these people have met him and will vouch for him online. So, you know, they can't all be wrong. And I built up a reputation of being a decent person that's not going to trash your house or do something sketchy. And that, you know, I cannot ruin that reputation now because it's worth everything to me. I can, I could travel so many places in the U.S. now, and I have like legitimate friends to stay with, which is so cool. Yeah, we could, we could probably transition into, you actually stayed with me, um, and we can cut, hop back to the rest of the trip, but yeah, it was it was exactly that. I had talked to this guy online, didn't even know his real name, he's going by a pseudonym, 
um and i'm all for it like hey man you seem like you got a reputation you're in the same scene as me you have the same hobbies like typically when you align on that stuff your your interests are the same and therefore it, it's easier to say well i'm a good person same hobbies he must be a good person he can't mm-hmm. kill me right um well i had to go to my wife and we had one kid at the time and convince her and she's like uh, i don't know it sounds fine you know maybe we'll put him in the basement or something and like sure enough he shows up to my house probably one of the first times you saw a dirt road with with this bike and you pull in i just see you pull in never freaking met you come out say hi and you stayed with me for i think it was for the weekend um yeah and it was a little bit weird at first because i think you rushed up to the room to get you know dressed and showered and whatever but then you came down hung out with us all night and immediately my wife was like yeah he's fine not worried about it um and like you know huge thank you to you i was we were kind of building our house at the time or at least continuing to build our house and i put yeah. this man to work it was just like i don't care what you do uh i had plans yeah, yeah i had plans work on my backsplash this weekend and he's like i'm in i love working on stuff and sure enough like him and i put probably four hours in to hang in backsplash and clean it off and stuff um it, it was to a point where we were actually late to the meetup because i could not let that dry yeah. um but nobody cared we showed up and you know just this like pissant meetup in the in the middle of michigan and it was great i, I thought it was a good old time and then uh, oh and then uh, after that meetup, we went up to my buddy's, another Bitcoiner, a couple hours north, and shot guns. Like we we went and shot shotguns and I think pistols. We bought uh, Tamarite. I think I'm saying that right. That that didn't work. Um, but that was a that was a freaking blast. And then, uh, uh, yeah, give the stranger a gun. What's the worst that could happen? And then we <laughs> came back. I didn't even think about that. Okay, gosh, fucking twelve with slugs in it. God, yeah. Go ahead, man. Never, Go ahead. None of you guys have ever met me before. Yeah. Oh man, I, well, I remember that I remember pulling up to your house, and it felt like pulling up to a family member's house. Like it didn't feel like oh, I'm going to some stranger's house because we had talked a lot and we'd called a couple times and like, all right, I kind of know who this guy is. So I was excited. I was like, oh, cool, get get to meet Tyler in person. Yeah, like an old uh, gaming buddy that you've never talked to. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of like that. No, it was great, and I I know you stayed at some really cool spots on this trip. Um, yeah. I, so why don't we now that we've talked about? I know we've already done it. Like, let's continue to highlight the good parts of it, and maybe you can summarize the route you went. Um, I do want to dive into uh, the exhaust cooker. Because that story cracks me up, and I think people will get a kick out of it. Yeah. Okay, so I'll give you another random thing that happened on the the trip that just sort of fell in my lap that I was open to and did was meeting uh, Texas Slam, which if you're in the Bitcoin space, you might be familiar with that name. So he runs the Beef Initiative, which is like a direct-to-consumer cooperative that works with ranches basically to help them sell directly to consumers. And you can buy beef and bitcoin but you can buy with other currencies too anyway pretty much he's trying to sell beef 
directly to people and then instead yeah. of going through the supermarket and having it touch a hundred hands. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I had a phone call with Slim. I think the first time was when I was picking up the bike in Tampa. So I talked to him a few times and then I found out he's doing this this conference in Kerrville, Texas, which is like a few hours west of of Austin. And it was right around the time I was planning to be in Austin anyway. So I picked that up and put it on the itinerary, bought myself a ticket and said, I'm going to go check this thing out and see what it is. And it was uniquely in Kerrville. Kerrville was not a mistake. It's one, it has a long history of ranching, but it also was unique in that you had to drive all the way out there. Even if you flew into Austin, then you got to rent a car and drive out here for this like full day event and then drive back the next day. And so it really weeded out people and Slim did that on purpose to weed out people that just go to conferences. And so the, the crowd, I mean, there were people that they have a ranch in, in freaking Wisconsin and they drove like 18 hours straight to come to this conference because they just had to be there to learn what the hell this beef initiative thing is about. So it, the people were fantastic at that event. And of course they had a lot of beef. So the guy that was cooking, I can't remember his name right now, but he worked with Cole Bolton who runs can cattle, which is an Austin big, a big ranch in Austin. That was sort of, I think Slim's first ranch that he worked with really closely. And the, the chef that was cooking, I told him I'm doing this, this ride and I want to eat more local food and eat from ranch and now i'm finding out you know there's ranches all over the place that would be happy to sell you beef and think about this i grew up in the suburbs we just went to the supermarket or maybe the farmer's market so now i'm hearing shit i can drive up to basically any ranch and ask them for beef and they'll probably have it and i could just eat that on the road so i thought well, could i buy a little cast iron pan and a gas stove and when i'm camping set this up so i'm talking to this chef about how could I do this while I'm on the road? I, I'm packing light. I'm just on a motorcycle. And he said, man, you got to look up manifold cooking. You cook on the exhaust manifold of a car or a motorcycle. So I Googled it. And sure enough, there's whole cookbooks about how to do this and the amount of miles that you need to drive to cook a steak, medium rare or whatever. So I thought, well, all right, I got to figure out some way that I can attach food to the exhaust pipe of the Harley. And I found this box called, I can't remember the name right now. I got it on Amazon and it's has like a metal loop that hooks around the exhaust pipe. And then just like a metal box that holds your food and clips closed. And it's called a muffler, muffler pot or something like that. So I bought that, ordered it on Amazon and got it at one of my stops and popped it onto the bike. And then the whole way I was riding, I did it maybe five times. I would find a rancher or just go to the supermarket and get a piece of beef and slap it in there. The thing was I needed a lot of time because that exhaust doesn't actually put out that much heat compared to like, you know, four header exhaust on a car where you can just lay the steak on there and it's like a grill. The exhaust on a Harley, it's got a cowling over it. Like it doesn't put out that much heat. So it's kind of a slow cooker. And I needed for like half to a quarter inch or half to three quarter inch piece of steak. I needed like three or four hours of riding time. And so I had to plan it well that I could get the beef and then do the ride. But I picked up 
couple pieces. There was a really good one in, in Nashville or outside of Nashville. I think like about three hours outside of Nashville, I saw this sign that said, uh, like something ranch ranch store and it was a rancher that has a store right on that hill on a state highway in the middle of tennessee so i turned around and drove up there and told him i want to cook this on my bike and i'm doing this tour around for bitcoin and whatnot and they were very confused but excited to sell me a piece of meat so they sold me a flat iron steak i don't think i'd ever know knew what a flat iron steak was before that but it was nice and thin and like fit perfectly in the box gave me some salt and pepper to season it, popped it in some foil and threw it in that box. And by the time I got to Nashville, I remember sitting down in the, the hotel lobby, I pop open that box to see what's going on in there, open it up and there was a dog asleep in the seat next to me, passed out on its owner's lap. I opened the top of the box and look over and that dog's head goes whoop, and he pops wide awake and starts sniffing around like who has that <laughs> and that was one of the best steaks i've ever had it was pink all the way through like it had been sous vide and then nice not a crust but like brown all around the edges such a great meal because i didn't even have to you know if i had got a camp stove i'd have to set up the stove and right. really cook it it's ready i just arrived and ate it so nice jason rick in colorado who's also in the beef initiative he gave me a tenderloin and I cooked that. That was also a phenomenal piece of meat that I cooked like in the mountains of Colorado. So look up manifold cooking. It's a great road trip hack to avoid eating the bullshit that is on offer in basically every restaurant in America. You can just get really good meat and cook it yourself. You can cook whole stews and whatever, as long as you have the right container to hold it on that exhaust header. I wonder how that works with like newer vehicles where they have so much coverage over the engine and mufflers and everything that yeah. that would be something worth looking into with how many, how much we drive. Um, we try to eat yeah, pretty good. Can. She always cooks us a little lunch, but it's always something cold that we can't heat up. Um, yeah, that's, I love that story. Um, yeah. What, what else is worth noting? Maybe we can, I think you covered a lot of the stories that I remember from the trip. So maybe you can kind of summarize the route you did and then how, um, how you off the bike. And then we can dive into uh, these future trips that you've done and are planning on doing. Cool. Yeah. So the whole route, like I said, it was a little over 11,000 miles started in Miami, went along the Gulf coast through, uh, to Texas and did Dallas, uh, Dallas, Austin, Houston, and then up across the South. I went basically from West to East through Arkansas, Tennessee, and then into, is that North Carolina? Yeah. Into North Carolina. The furthest East, I think I went was Raleigh. And then I went North crossed the Appalachian mountains into southern illinois then went up north that's when i met you is in detroit and then i kind of ping-ponged back and forth between michigan ohio indiana i did chicago and milwaukee and then i went west through minnesota or wisconsin minnesota and then like the dakotas 
went down to Kansas City, went straight across on the interstate to Denver, which was grueling, but I was used to it by that point. It was like 10 hours and just, I put the cruise control on on the bike and I could just sit with my feet up on the bars because it was so dead straight. The bike just does its thing. So that was a long ride, but I made it to Denver a day early because there's no attention involved in that ride. You just go. So you just pin it at 90 and let, let the bike do its thing. Got to Denver. Uh, then from Denver, I kind of took a break from meetups for like 10 days. I went to a wedding and then there, there's not much in Western Colorado. It's so many mountains. So my dad actually met me in Denver and rented a bike and we rode to Phoenix together and we did a couple small things. Like we went to Jason Rick's ranch and he gave me some beef to cook, but we did our little father son trip to Phoenix and then went to Phoenix meetup. And then from Phoenix <clears throat> went West to San Diego, almost died in the desert. I didn't realize how heat stroked I was. I stopped sweating. I was delirious and dizzy drank an entire 32 ounce Gatorade and I was no less thirsty than when I started. I drank it in one gulp. It was brutal. So just because it was so hot and you were riding in that weather. Yeah. I was in Phoenix in July. So at like 7 AM, it was already 95, a hundred degrees. Oh and then I, I knew I had to get up early and ride out, you know, to avoid the heat, but I was riding into the desert. So it's going to be hot all day. And then I got where I wanted to stay at like 11 in the morning. And I thought, screw it, I don't feel that bad because, again, I'm like heat stroking at this point. I'm not sweating. So I'm like, oh, I'm good. I, I don't feel that hot. So I took all my gear off because I, I felt like, okay, this is getting a little stuffy in here. So I took all my gear off. I'm riding around like an idiot in, in jeans and in a T-shirt and thankfully still put my helmet on. And I went to go to a camping spot because I thought I'm going to save money and camp tonight. The camp spot is closed for like nine months. They close all summer anytime that it's hot because it's dangerous to sleep there even at night because people are like me and they don't know and they heat stroke out. So I couldn't go to the camping spot. So then I was like, well, I'm already way out of the main town with the hotels. I'll go see these other sites around the Salton Sea that I wanted to see these like old resort towns that are just demolished now or like half standing. So I went and rode around there. So by the time I got back to a hotel, it was three, four in the afternoon and I was done, like so parched, feeling really dizzy, really shitty. So I got a hotel, I put the AC down as low as it could go. I went across the street and got a big gulp with filled with ice and soda. And I just laid on that bed until I turned into an ice cube and went the other direction. And that was rough. That was a really rough day really learned my lesson about heat stroke it's no joke i didn't even think about that i mean i don't have any experience with arizona but in july you know anywhere in the south anywhere in the desert in july has got to be brutal everyone in phoenix was like thank you for for coming to phoenix i can't believe you did it in july and i was like why why is this a big deal and they're like dude this is the hottest fun in like one of the hottest cities in the country so yeah, that that was intense. I had to water the bike before I sat on it. Like even the the handlebars, it was like touching a hot pan. They're so hot. I'm sure. By like eight, seven days in the morning. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure getting up the next morning was hard. Just like, oh yeah. no, I got to get out of here right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, that was a tangent. Got to San Diego and then I just rode up the coast all the way back up to Northern California. And then when I got here, I let the bike sit for a little while. I, I relaxed for a couple weeks. And then my girlfriend was supposed to come out here, but if you've ever dated anyone international, not from a Western country, getting an American tourist visa is is like for us going to the moon, it's extremely difficult. So she got denied for the tourist visa. She was supposed to come here for a month and we were going to road trip around and ride on the bike and stuff, but that didn't happen. So we audibled and instead went to Turkey and the country of Georgia, which are also fantastic, did that for a month, came back, and I went to Grassroots Bitcoin, which you you were not there, right? I don't think you were there. No, I wasn't. Yeah. So Grassroots was like, a th- that year was the first year in 2022. It's a sort of conference or meetup for meetup organizers, for Bitcoin meetup organizers. And it's held in Nashville by the Bitcoin Park people, Rod and all of them. It was a fantastic event. It was all Bitcoin meetup organizers talking about their meetups and getting to know each other and coming up with ideas and sharing knowledge and everything. Super cool event. So I got to see most of the people that I met on the trip who were running meetups and then a lot of new people who I had heard of or I wasn't able to go to their meetups. And one person was this guy, Alan, from Redding, California, which is like three hours north of where I ended the trip. It's like four or five hours north of of san francisco where the last meetup was and alan from the very beginning of the trip was like hey sid you gotta come to redding california you gotta come to to our meetup and he's like alan i will try and originally i had thought i was going to go up north and and come back down and then by the time i got to like illinois i realized i don't have the time and the energy for that because i was going to go up there for like two or three meetups and it was going to be like eight hours of riding every day to get to them because it's so sparsely populated so I ended up mixing that part of the trip. But I got to meet Alan, who'd been begging me to come to his meetup for a long time and heckling me about it. And he asked me, well, what are you going to do with that bike? And I said, I don't know, because I'm moving back to Thailand. So I got to get rid of it. I don't have any reason to have a bike just rock here. And he said, well, I love motorcycles and, and I love what you did. And I love the idea that it's a Bitcoin bike and it has this whole story behind it. So I'll buy it from you. So. I sold him the bike and it's still up there in Reading and he rides it all the time. And and I actually got to go back and ride it last year. I went up there for a day and went to go ride my old bike. So he still has it. He put new saddlebags on it. So I still have the saddlebags. So I technically own them, but they're not here. <laughs> I think they're in LA. So I got to go get, collect those at some point. Maybe I'll just give them to Alan because he's, he's stewarding that bike onto a new life. So. Yeah, I got rid of the bike and sold, back to the I thought you sold the uh, signed saddlebags. Are you talking about yeah. the stock ones? So the signed saddlebags, that's the story too. So I took them to Bitcoin 2023 and my vision was like, I'm going to sell these as this art, this Bitcoin art piece. And I put them on auction. They were in the, the art gallery there. But long story short, like the bids were just way below what I had I guess dreamed, not expected, because I didn't really have any reason to think that they would sell for what they would sell for. But I just wasn't happy with how they were engaged with. And so at the last minute, like in the last five minutes of the auction, I outbid the top bidder and I bought them back. 
and that included paying like the listing fee for the thing and the shipping and the i did a donation to bitcoin meetup so i donated like a thousand dollars this was at the end of the tour right yeah this is this was early last year you started the tour at the conference and you end well you ended trying to sell them at the conference i did not know this okay well no there was a long there was like six months in between i ended in right 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 and then i came back to the us to go to the conference and bring the bags there uh, but yeah, I ended up buying them back. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to get a nice payout and that'll pay for the rest of the expenses of the trip that I went on. And no, I just, I ended up having more expenses, but yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with those bags. Now that I still own them, as we'll get into with future trips, as long as I'm riding a Harley that'll fit those bags, I can just pop them on again and get more people signing them. Cause I had at every meetup, I had as many people as I could sign them with this permanent ink pen. So they have signatures from Bitcoiners all over the country, probably 300 people signed those bags. So I'm hoping that I can keep that alive and, you know, keep getting signatures on them. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's get into the, let's get into the, what you've done from here and what you're planning on doing in the future. And then we can wrap everything up. Um, I know you did like a mini tour in Thailand and that's kind of led you into what you're going to do moving forward yeah so a couple things marinated with me after i did that trip one was that that bitcoiners really seem to get along and even though they often come from very different backgrounds because they all agree on this very strange thing that most people don't understand it's like this instant trust and that came through in so many people opening their their doors to me, it came through and going to meetups and seeing a a lawyer sitting with a construction worker and Democrats and Republicans talking civilly about really important matters and stuff. I just saw this like this sense of hope and pragmatism and cooperation that I don't see anywhere else in, in America or really in the world right now. So that sat with me. That was a pretty cool thing. I thought Bitcoiners would get along, you know, they like doing things with other Bitcoiners. And Texas Slim, who I had met through the trip, through this Bitcoin tour, he had told me when I met him in Kerrville that he had come to Thailand like 25 years ago and always wanted to come back. And he'd ridden bikes there and you know done a lot of exploring, but then he had a kid and you know life gets you and he had a career and everything. And so he never made it back out. And he said, now that I know someone out there, I'm going to come visit you. So he shook my hand and said, I will come in 2023. So in 2023, sure enough, in March, the worst possible time to come out, he came out and came to Northern Thailand, came to visit me. It's for reference why I say it's the worst time. It's smoky because all of basically from from Myanmar, Northern Myanmar through to Northern Vietnam. So like all of Laos, Northern Thailand, Southern China, it's all these hills and the way that they farm and do agriculture out there, they burn a lot of crops. So the dry season is like November through March or April. And the latter part of the dry season, basically everything is on fire and the air quality is awful. It's becomes like the worst in the world during that time. So he decided to come during that time and bring his son. And I was like, Slim, you're going to hate it. Like, do not come here during that time. Even in Bangkok, it was so hazy. We could barely see the rest of the city. So he came out 
And I took him on a little trip up to a town called Shengdao and met some of my friends and did some activities up there with them. And we were sitting at a cafe and he shook me and he's like, you have to take people here. Like you don't understand because you live here, how magical this experience is. Like you have to do something, like do a tour, show people this place. And I thought, okay, if he likes it this much when it's at its absolute low, then if I did a trip during its high, this is going to be spectacular. So I thought about that for a while and I combined that idea with, you know, I know that Bitcoiners like to get together and I thought, why don't we do something that's like a conference or a meetup, but not do a motorcycle trip, do a, a, a full on tour of real life in Thailand. So we ended up doing things that like I would consider things that tours don't take you on or don't even know exist because it's stuff that I developed through my daily life or that I saw on the side of the road while I was riding and exploring. So I put together an itinerary of like eight days of riding and within like three weeks I got six people to sign up for it. So Slim came out for it. Alan who bought my bike came out for it and a bunch of other people. The guy who created the Satoshi symbol, the the three lines with the two dots, he came out for it. Satoshi he goes by Satoshi symbol on Twitter or symbol Satoshi or something. Uh, the guy who runs the Benton Harbor meetup, Wes, uh, another guy that I met through home mining stuff that lives in Vegas. He came out, um, oh, who was the last person searching for your face? Anyway, um, oh, and Corey, yeah. Corey who knew me through Beef Initiative stuff. And so that whole crew came out and rode with me for eight days and had an absolute blast. And that went so well that it was sort of my trial to see, okay, the Bitcoiners really get along. If I, you know, if I have a phone call with all these people and I think they're going to get along, will they get along? Will they enjoy the activities that I pick out for them? I wanted it to be more than a motorcycle trip to be something that really changes you. And that's why I call it ride of passage. Cause I want it to be this motorcycle ride where you, you change the, the experience you're exposed to a new culture you're exposed to new people and new ways of life and that you're never going to be the same through that because i think the way that we travel today is like changing the curtains in your living room people go to cabo and they sit in the the hotel the whole time and everything is curated for them and i saw that even when i was trying to travel in this like local way you go on airbnb experiences and stuff it is curated for you to to be comfortable to you. But I knew that not only will Bitcoiners get together, but Bitcoiners are comfortable with discomfort because if you get Bitcoin, you have had to completely flip your worldview in a lot of ways because there's so many things that everyone around you just takes for granted that are invalidated when you start digging into Bitcoin, which I'm not going to get into all of it now, but it really changes your perspective in a lot of ways and humbles someone with a big ego who thinks, you know, I know how everything works already. So I knew these people are going to be ready for an experience that really puts them out of their comfort zone. So I could do more activities that were a little bit freaky for, for a Westerner, an American who's maybe never been to Asia or never been this deep into Thailand. They're going to be confronted with some stuff that's uncomfortable and riding in Thailand. It's one of those things you're riding on the left. The traffic flow is completely different. There's no rules, really. There's kind of etiquette, but nobody's following any rules. It's sort of the jungle. So I thought they'll 
Bitcoiners will be open to this kind of experience and they'll enjoy it. It's it's type two fun to get back to high quality fun. High quality fun. fun. Like at the end of the day, I you know you I don't know if you've had fun or uh, you not had fun or whatever, but I can guarantee that you've been through something that that freaked you out or stressed you out. But you made it to the other side, and now you look back on it and you're like, "Wow, that was really awesome. I'm glad I went through that." So I, no I like one, the way you phrase that too, because like, uh, you know, if I go on a vacation and I'm going to meet up with somebody, I want to, you know, live like a local. I want to see the area, and sometimes it takes you the entire weekend or entire week to find that because you don't have anybody to guide you around. But since you've lived in Thailand for so long, you can take these people to these local gems that you know about and get that experience instead of getting your scripted resort, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we like to stay in Airbnbs cause we don't want to be in the hotel room. And then we try to pick the towns that we want to be in because we want to walk around and find the, I don't know, the cool restaurants, the underground bars, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can like accelerate that or even spoon feed it to people, I think people would really eat that up, especially as you said, the, the people, the, the Bitcoiners who all get along and are willing to, to do that hard stuff. Um, And I know that, I know that coming up, I, I know that that was your trial run. And so now you're trying to branch us off, and bring it back to the United States. I think you're starting mm-hmm. with the Midwest and you're planning that out at this point in time. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I'm deep in planning basically a, a rerun and a build on what I did on the Bitcoin tour. So my my mantra with all of these tours now is I want to develop tours that money can't buy. And the idea behind that is I'm trying not to do commercialized things so i don't want to go to the hotels that are advertised everywhere that are the hotels that everyone stays at i don't want to go to those restaurants i don't want to go to those sites i want to go to places that you have to know someone to know that it exists or to get access to it and so in thailand that was really easy for me because i had been there for so long and i developed all these things in the midwest i'm leveraging the tour that i did because i met all these people that had i not been a bitcoiner and done this whole production of this tour where I got to meet all these very interesting people and get access to all this hidden stuff in these local areas, I never would have known. I would have taken the interstate and driven right across the Midwest and missed all this cool stuff. So I want to use that, those peer-to-peer connections to show people that you can travel in a different way. And I'm going to package it up the same way that I did with the Thailand tour and give it to you in, a, in an easy format. So it's easy to just pay me and I'll take you on the tour and you'll get to build these relationships. Whereas when I was doing the tour, I had to grind every day to make it happen. But I want to show people that just like I did that Bitcoin tour, every day of that tour was this magical experience of, of getting to meet new interesting people and discovering new stuff and that you can travel in that way as well. You don't have to travel going from holiday end to holiday end on the interstate. There's other ways to to travel and I'm doing it through peer-to-peer relationships and from the Bitcoin network, from the people of Bitcoin, because that's this very unique space where there's weirdly enough high trust between people for an asset that is about minimizing trust for people that really get it. And once you're vetted and you have a reputation, 
it's a high trust environment and you just get access to things that most people will never find and will never be able to get access to. I'll say it too. Like that's another reason I started this. Um, I get to talk to people you and I've met, but there's been a handful of people that I've talked to and you're the 19th episode. I think um, nice. there's been people that, you know, had such good conversation and we talked back and forth before and after the actual recording and they're like, Hey, if you're ever in Utah, you know, hit us up. And it's mm -hmm. just, you know, breaking down those walls and, and by recording these, I'm, I'm actually getting to meet people and make connections that hopefully I'll get to use in the future. Um, or just like learn about these different lifestyles that people are doing that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Um, no, Evan, I think that's kind of a perfect place to wrap it up. Um, if you want to tell people more about this ride of passage, where they can find you, give any shout outs. It's been great having you on. Yeah. Uh, as far as ride of passage, I may change the domain, but for now it is ride of passage, R I D E ride of passage dot live L I V E. And right now it's just a recap of what I did in, in Thailand, but pretty soon I'm going to release new pages for next year's Thailand or this year's Thailand trip the Midwest trip that I just mentioned, which will be like Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and going to homesteads and Bitcoin mining and meetups and just doing very cool local things in that area. Uh, and then I'm also going to release another one in Thailand that's going to be more self-guided and uh, probably even more local than the guided tour that I did. But it's going to be releasing you on your own on an old motorcycle with knobbly tires and you just get to explore with a community of other people who are also doing the same thing. So I'm going to release that one this year as well. And then the idea is just keep adding and developing these routes and, and running them so that anyone can go on them. So that's the rite of passage. Um, shout outs. I mean, everyone in the Bitcoin community, especially all the meetup organizers that made this happen, is, you guys are just the fucking best. <laughs> the best people I've ever met are these people, they're so generous with their time and with their expertise and and their thoughts. So thank you guys. The whole Bitcoin tour that I did would not have existed without the meetup organizers, the people who opened their homes that made you know all these memories and connections possible. So you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing. That's that's all I got, man. And you too, Tyler. Shout out to you, man. This I love this idea of type two fun. Um it's something that I, I want to do more and more of in my life. Oh, we're having on because you're doing something that's uh, highlighting it for sure. Yeah. Um, so. All right, man. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Oh, thanks, brother. Peace. Thank you for listening to the High Quality Fun Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this show, please give us a follow. And if you have a good story or just want to say hi, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or YouTube. Thanks for listening.